Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start, Start saving, saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. You can support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Ashley Geisinger of Medina, Ohio. Ashley will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Sonia Sells, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedure, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedure. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast, we break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Special Victims Unit Season 10, Episode 22, Zebras. Stucky. Looks like he commingled the evidence, meaning the DNA on the knife could have come from cross-contamination. Which means my client waltzes right out the door. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. I kind of feel like slapping you right now. Why is that? <laughs> I'm partially inspired by this episode, but also because I have a terrible cold, and I just wanted to let you know in advance that it's not you, it's me that feels like slapping you. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, because there, there is a lot of slapping in this episode. <laughs> not enough. Rounding out our panel is our special guest from the In Trouble for Talking podcast, Sonia Sells. Hi, Sonia. Hi, how are you guys? Good. Now, of course, fans of In Trouble for Talking will not recognize your name unless you give your on-air name. Hillary Banks. Ah, there you go. As in Hillary Banks from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, please say it's that. Yes, yes. of course it's that. <laughs> <laughs> just like just like uh, ethnically ambiguous with big hair and just like a valley girl kind of voice, you know. I'm all about and it. And maybe, maybe slightly crossed eyes, but maybe not. Possibly. You, you know what? Hillary. If I take my glasses off, probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, tell us, how did you get into SVU? So uh, when I was a kid... Uh, I had I've had very macabre interests my entire life. I uh, can't really explain it, but uh, I remember distinctly uh, coming home from a school dance, and my dad uh, was watching TV. I was in middle school, and I was mm -hmm. uh, my dad was watching TV, and he was a big true crime buff, and he was watching SVU, a particular episode called uh, Angels, I think season four, episode four, and I remember thinking, "This is I can't believe they're doing all this on TV, but I love it." Well, well when it, <laughs> remind us what happened in that episode. Uh, this is the one where it is the little boys from Central America who are hiding on the bus, I believe, and they were kidnapped. They were brought here to be adopted by pedophiles, I think, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the dance. Never mind that. What's going on with these exactly. kids? <laughs> like 10, 11-year-old me was like, I'm fascinated. <laughs> 
This is great. Uh, yeah. I just don't want to be on that bus. Right, no. Yeah, it is true. Yeah, I, I, I do remember when SVU was first on, there was so much talk of like vaginas and like all sorts of body part stuff that I remember at the time, even though I was not in middle school, I think I was a fully grown adult by the time SVU came on the air, I was like... They can do this on TV. Yeah. And it is pretty unbelievable. <laughs> just like it was very like it was very to the point. Like these kids were brought here for sex. And I remember being terrified, but very intrigued. <laughs> that sounds uh-huh. terrible. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. Totally get it. Not, not intrigued for my own purposes, of course. Sonia, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. I'm going to have to probably be boring and basic and say Benson and Stabler. However, I don't think that Munch and Finn get as much credit as they deserve uh, because Uh they're just so adorably mismatched, but yet still have this really sweet personal dynamic like for two people who aren't really about their feelings they just really are like true brothers yeah i love them too and i have to say the more our guests talk about munch and finn being their favorites i think my original favorites i said in the first episode were briscoe and green but i think i want to push that aside and and maybe sub in munch and finn because i have to say every argument i hear from munch and finn i'm totally on board. their dynamic is so cute (laughs) it is and weird and super weird We're going to talk more, actually, about Munch and Richard Belzer later on. But it is funny because Belzer and Ice-T are not traditionally trained actors. Really? How can you tell? (laughs) I mean, you got to love the transformation that Ice-T went from uh, cop killer to cop himself. Like, this is what he's most known for now. So talk about a 180. And he also went from being ice Dash T to just ice space T. So he has grown. <laughs> and at final level is also what he's known by on Twitter. That's true. Oh, he, he has not stopped. And this is a great episode that shows it. He's wearing like a beautiful fitted jacket during like one of the <laughs> hilarious chase scenes in this episode, which I will talk about. And underneath like the beautiful fitted jacket and like the really well fitted pants, of course, with a super thick gold chain just like sticking out. <laughs> just in case there was no any doubt that he was an urban, he came from an urban background. Thank Thank goodness for that jewelry to contextualize. We needed that signal. We white folks needed that signal for sure. <laughs> Sonia, who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Uh, ain't no team. All about Barba. All the time. Ooh, mm. nice. All Barba all the time. And let me tell you, because I, I did my research today, just preparing for this. So I remember him coming in and after a series of what I like to call... Uh, there's like the law school strictly for models apparently (laughs) just like tall skinny like like perfect bone structure women just cycling in and out like all ADAs and then it was a dude that came in and I'm like all right going in a new direction with this you know whatever but then I remember in the in his first episode where he is doing the trial and he has the actor put the belt around his neck and he's like oh come on you can pull harder than that and I was like Oh, he's got no chill whatsoever. I'm so into yeah. this. And then on top Paul, of Paul, right. Paul. And then the guy yes. like loses his shit and he's like, see? But then and then I was I was thought I was sold. And then he started speaking Spanish. And as the kids say, that's when he became daddy. Barbara has grown on me. Yes. He definitely has. And he doesn't have to wear a chain for me to know that he's <laughs> Right. Like- he's just gotta slip that Spanish in every once in a while to remind people he's from the streets. <laughs> Okay, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, SVU Season 10, Episode 22, 
Zebras. A Central Park rollerblader loses control and falls right into the exact bush where a woman's body had been dumped just minutes earlier. Stabler and Benson arrive on the scene to find crime tech Dale Stuckey, a.k.a. Scrappy-Doo, <laughs> all excited about the crime. The victim has the word guilty written on her forehead. Her baby is found with the word innocent. Now, photo in the mom's digital camera show a community service garbage crew nearby. Peter Harrison went home with a bloody finger. Stabler and Benson find he's paranoid and a conspiracy theorist. So Finn finds a bloody switchblade in his closet and the DNA matches the victim. And so ends another six-minute episode of SVU. (laughs) Well, but wait, but wait. Seems like Stucky intermingled the invoice number on the evidence from the crime scene with that from the apartment. Judge Elizabeth Donnelly gives Stucky a dressing down. Case is dismissed without prejudice. You can't dismiss. He's guilty, Your Honor. You must be Dale Stucky. I am good at my job, okay? And I'm... Mr. Stucky, you're out of order and seriously deluded. If this is your idea of doing a good job, you're in the wrong line of work. No, you don't know me. I don't care to. Sit down and shut up. Finn and Munch tail Harrison to Coney Island, where he tries to escape by, no shit, getting on a car in a (laughs) funhouse. Then Finn and Munch, even more no shit, chase him by commandeering the next funhouse car. (laughs) But somehow Harrison escapes. Soon after another woman is found murdered under the boardwalk. The word guilty also written on her forehead. Munch recognizes someone on the conspiracy website who knows where Harrison is hiding. It's his crazy ex-wife who in this case is actually crazy. She points them towards Harrison's hideout where he escapes by again, no shit, Pulling on a rope, (laughs) which drops a vat of poisonous gas while he flees through a hole in the wall. Okay, now this is a ridiculous. Wait, that was all one half of the. That episode? was just one half of the show. Okay, just check. So, so I just I want to start by saying like the the episode starts and it's named for the the expression uh, when you hear hoof beats, don't think zebras. But literally, right. this show is the epitome of thinking horses, but it actually being zebras. Like, over and over and over again. Just like, like, could it be a less accurate description of how things tend to go on this series as a whole? It's true. And can we just talk about that cold open for one second? Because that whole thing with the dad and daughter rollerblading through Central Park and like the dad being hapless and being like, hey, daughter, look how cool I am. They make these cold opens like the finding the body as if the body wouldn't have been found if the guy hadn't done that exact thing at that exact moment, right? Well, it seems like it's easier to find a dead body in the thick bushes of Central Park than a baby stroller left right in the middle of a walkway. <laughs> With a crying baby in it. With a crying, yeah. A baby who who doesn't have his pacifier, but is not crying. Right, like Which, by a- the way, a baby that is also like a completely dropped plot point that never comes up again in the entire episode. Right. The fact that Olivia didn't try to adopt that baby is amazing. <laughs> she does try to adopt every single baby. <laughs> it's a it's a miracle she doesn't have like a we are the world like a like a rainbow coalition of children at her home at this point from like just <laughs> abandoned children from every case she's ever worked. <laughs> but we haven't gotten to this. We haven't gotten to the point about how terrible Stucky is. Like the one of easily the worst thing that's ever happened to this show, in my opinion. That is serious overkill for an unarmed woman, right? Hey, what if it's a warning? Like, she's in cahoots with the mafia, but double-crossed them, and now they're sending a message. I was just gonna ask, like, how punchable is he? Oh, I literally, all I could think, because I, I remember thinking this initially when I had watched it years ago, but watching it again recently, all I could think is John Ralphio from uh, Parks and Rec going, the world! 
worst, like just the worst. <laughs> just like I, I, I it, fe- it feels a little bit like when they bring in, you know, the step kid or you know what I mean? Like they cousin bring in, Oliver yeah, from the Brady yes, Bunch. Yes, he's the co- he was the cousin Oliver, but it takes a turn. But we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> now, this has got to be the most unbelievable chase of all time. Harrison just cuts the line at the Coney Island Funhouse. Yep. And Munch and Finn just get in the next car to go after them. Don't they realize they're both going the same speed? Yes. And wouldn't a better tactic be just to wait at the other side of the ride for what? him to emerge? Like all the mothers are doing? Yes, because where the hell else is he going to go? Is he going to like jump up and jump into one of the coffins with those like ghouls that sits up? I mean, that's apparently like basically what happened. He like scurried out. <laughs> like it was because and th- this would have been avoided if they would have just waited at the end. It also would have been avoided if they weren't literally the worst tale I have ever seen <laughs> in procedural police history. True. You have a guy who's dressed like he's straight out of Compton, except with a John Vivar Vados jacket over it. And another guy who looks like the guy from Homicide, Life on the Streets. Oh, wait, it is that guy. Walking after him, totally not subtly, just looking side to side. And, and that is their tale on a paranoid schizophrenic who clearly is looking for tales all the time. It was ridiculous. Right. The world's most mismatched like older gay couple get, taking this romantic <laughs> ride through a fun house. Like, how adorable. That's why everybody let them cut the line, right? As if, Bro- as if Brooklynites, as if Brooklynites wouldn't be <laughs> mad as hell that you just yeah. jumped the line. Like a group of people just jumped the line. I mean, I am New York adjacent, but we're not going to let that <laughs> shit fly. Like we're not, you're not a line cutter on my watch. Yeah. And it's kind of like they didn't even say anything to each other. They just gave each other that look like Okay, quick, we're going to get in and go after him. <laughs> Come on, jump in. It was pull, pull the rail down over our thighs so right. we don't fall out. They were acting as if it was one of those scenes in Mission Impossible where someone like jumps off a building and the cops also jump off a building. <laughs> that was the expression on their face. Like It was like, and then the stupid like teacup uh, chair just kept spinning and spinning and spinning. Yes, yes. Sonia, what did you think about inside the funhouse where it was... Scary? I don't know. Like, what a waste. And then just their deadpan reactions to all the things that are happening simultaneously. Like, what what was the purpose of this except to add just visual elements of just confusion? Like, what... Like all these elephants, like like the clowns and the, the the mannequin vampires come out. I'm just genuinely shocked Ice-T would agree to this period. He seems like the kind of person who'd be like, hell no, I'm not going in no, <laughs> no haunted house. Well, he kept like, looking left, looking right, looking left, looking right. Like You're supposed to keep your eyes focused on something. That's why you're in here. You've stared down killers with guns, but you're going to pee a little. That's right. When you see, when you see <laughs> the, the true horrors. The true, <laughs> the true horrors of New York City. Hi, drum roll, please. It's our very special guest star, Miss Judith Light. Yes! The best. Now, Judith has appeared in 25 episodes of SVU. She was first on as the supervising ADA, then elevated to Judge Elizabeth Donnelly. So, So, Sonia, she's as close to a regular cast member as just about any celebrity guest star. She's a huge deal. And I love that we get two incredible Judith Light 
moments in that we get a good Judith Light like read to filth where she's just <laughs> shitting on everybody across the room like you did a terrible <laughs> job you're only out on a technicality you should basically go kill yourself like she was she just was not taking any prisoners so to speak literally uh, but <laughs> she, <laughs> she was can. not taking any prisoners but also that scene a little bit later on where Elliot comes to her apartment and she's like standing there in the doorway Elliot. my apologies Judge Donnelly uh, this is not a social call well then this is highly improper and a pity I was waiting for a man to like come into the frame and be like come back to bed like she was <laughs> she was like older lady sexy killing it yeah she wants it and she so she basically like he, that happens twice in the episode where he shows up at the at her door and mm-hmm. she's like oh I'm sorry you're just here for police work I thought you were here for doing it a social Ooh. call yeah. yes and then later in the episode which I know we'll get to later but like there is that little moment where um, they they think she's in danger and Elliot says should we put you up you know can, can I take you to a hotel it's just like you didn't hear that and like like to live like she's like she's got it for him and it's hilarious because she's so badass that you don't know if she's being ironic right and uh, I, I love everything about it she's wonderful in this role and she doesn't she doesn't let anybody fly in that courtroom she says sit down and shut up she right. goes everyone Just take your meds take your meds she's the best that Sassy. little scene is my favorite oh. scene in this whole episode now we also have an appearance by another very special guest star it's Carol Kane yes as Love Munch's her. ex-wife I was gonna tell you I'm thinking about going back on my medication so maybe we could be together again huh? goodbye Gwen I gotta go John please don't leave me John I gotta go everything's going so good now, as far as ex-wives go, this is Munch's first of three, and this is also the one who slept with Briscoe in these crossover episodes. You find out Briscoe slept with somebody from New York, oh, it's and it happened one. to be Munch's ex-wife. <laughs> it was her. Uh, so we've seen her on Homicide, and one other time, uh, which was at Munch's retirement party. When Munch retired, there was a big party scene, and... Clark Johnson from Homicide was there as Meldrick and his a bunch of his ex-wives were there and it was sort of a, like a, a homecoming for So for SVU fans this would have been the first time they were introduced to Munch's ex-wife, right? That's true. Yes. So like so the first half of the episode like when they're talking and you're like, "Oh, Munch is like kind of weirdly flirting with the crazy lady and then uh-huh. he throws out that line, "She's my ex-wife." Like that was probably a surprise. To it a lot could of have SVU been. Fans. But even people, you know, uh Sonia, who like followed Homicide and no Munch's background, if they see Carol Kane, you know, it's like, this is SVU. She could probably be a, a, a physicist that she'd never met before because people come around as repeat offenders all the time in right. different roles. People will show up for any reason. But I mean, I feel like it seemed kind of plausible that they were married just because he had that same sort of soft spot when his uncle appeared that time like that same mm-hmm. all of a sudden like a little bit not that he's not sensitive when interviewing but he had like a little bit softer of an approach and it was like a little like repartee between them and he like took off also, the glasses they just like look <laughs> they just fit together right when he took off the glasses that was like the real tell but like how cute were they? Like, I mean, it was kind of sad because she's like, oh, I want to go back on my meds and like maybe this could work out. And he was like, bye. And just like swept his cape on out the door. Well, Carol Kane does play crazy haha very well. And she like does. Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, of course. And Taxi and Princess Bride. It's basically her brand. But yeah. here she plays crazy sad. Mm-hmm. And for like all of the things that were nutty about this episode, the one thing that could have been a punchline wasn't. Right. Yeah. It's shocking, right? Because everything else in this episode episode was kind of a punchline and kind of ridiculous. But no, it was very sweet and it was well done. I think that the implausible thing would be that Munch's ex-wife 
would also know this other dude in a city of 8 million people. And also that, that he was so quick to remember her username on this yes. website. <laughs> like he was like right yeah. with it. Like, I know that lady. We're going to go talk to her and know exactly where she was in that moment. So, you know, take all of this with a grain of salt as per usual. Now, uh, we do have a Hey, It's That Girl. Hell yeah, we do. Hey, it's that girl. Uh, Rebecca, can you name the actress who plays Harrison's lawyer? Can I name him or will I name her? Will you name her? That is Kelly Bishop, a.k.a. Emily Gilmore, a.k.a. the greatest dowagess in television history. She is an incredible... Maggie Smith was better, but I'll give her a second place. Maybe, maybe the greatest dowagess in American television okay. history. Okay. Kelly Bishop is an amazing a character actress long before Gilmore Girls. If you just IMDb her, you will be like mind blown. But certainly when she walks on the screen now, Emily Gilmore is the thing we all know her for. And she was 100 percent Emily Gilmoreing it in this episode. If Peter contacts me, I'll urge him to turn himself in. In the meantime, you do your job and I'll do mine. She was tough. She was strong. She wasn't taking any BS. And she was standing up for a mentally ill person, which she also does an awful lot in the Gilmore Girls, because Lorelai Gilmore was arguably quite mentally ill. Sonia, did you recognize Kelly Bishop? I did not. I think it's I uh, I have a lot of uh, quote unquote white interests, but it doesn't necessarily extend as far as Gilmore. <laughs> yeah. I'm like looking at her. I'm looking at her IMDb now, and it's a bunch of stuff that I'm like, oh, yeah, I meant to get to that. So <laughs> no shade. I have she's a lot got of a... white interests, too, and I don't know who she's talking about either. <laughs> yes, so that's... it is maybe the white, most basic white chick thing ever. To I, know her from I it's like a Smucker's Jam commercial. <laughs> Who believes Harrison's elaborate setup where he escapes from his lair by pulling a rope like the Joker and acid spills everywhere? Do I believe it or do I think it was awesome? Like, what does that question actually mean? <laughs> do you think it was awesome? Let me like what. Let me read you the note I wrote down when that happened on the show. Oh shit, Peter set a dope trap. Like dope that was a trap. dope trap. Like it was incredible. No, I didn't do it. And I didn't kill you. You did it to yourself. To sort of see those guys kind of like choking out as smoke fills the room. Like I thought it was super cool. How a little bit long, joker, but it was cool. How long did he have that ready? Like, is there an expiration date on that? Like for <laughs> like was there a top that was loose but not loose enough that air couldn't get in? I don't know a ton about science, but I have a lot of questions. Uh he was real ready with that, just like kerplunk. It was all gone. It spills because there's a hole in the top. Now, wouldn't it just be emitting gas fumes like always and forever yes. until he spills it? Or wouldn't it like mess up the half light I don't know I don't like I said I don't know science terms but wouldn't that like compromise the acidity or like whatever like I just, guys like, wouldn't it also have been better to wait on the other side of the fun house for that dude to come out rather than following him into yeah, the fun exactly. house I'm just saying are we really like gonna like pick it like details here true, in this episode? True. no but I also love the second part which is like he knocked a hole in the wall which just happened to be right next to a ladder that went up to a sewer That's grade right. or something That's like right. that. Like, good luck. Like, I can't, I can't find the stud in my wall to hang a photograph. That's right. You know, without, I, can, I can attest that you cannot. Yeah, without putting a nail through a, a wire causing a fire. And this guy's like, oh, I got the perfect escape plan. And no one's ever going to come the opposite way in to get me. No. <laughs> right. Never. Like, thankfully, they were standing exactly where they were supposed to be standing for this plan to work. Oh, what happenstance. I think Stabler and Finn thought they were in a game of Donkey Kong. Something they, like that. Yeah, they have to Mouse like, trap. They have to jump over this barrel and <laughs> climb up this ladder. When you support us at Patreon at just $5, you will get exclusive content. 
like the Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club, Laura's Rage Walk, the Crime Writers on After Show, and Married with Podcast with Rebecca and me. Start getting your exclusive perks for just $5. Join our own elite squad at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. That's patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Now let's look at the second half of this episode. Stabler and Benson find an art professor who shows them Harrison's recent violent paintings. Stucky tries to convince everyone the painting is a confession, and Stabler finally tells him to shut the fuck up already. (laughs) (laughs) You are an obnoxious little jackal. Elliot, it's not. Let him go. Let him go. Get out of here. Captain, you just assaulted me. You have to write him up. Only one getting a rip around here is you, Dale. He just accosted me. If Elliot puts your head through a wall, I'm going to have to do a lot of tiresome paperwork. Get out of my squad. They get a secret call from Harrison's lawyer who's in her office and being threatened by the fugitive. It takes Stabler and Benson about 37 seconds to get to the office and put the cuffs on him. They throw him in the car while the lawyer promises to follow them in her car. But as soon as she turns the key, the doors lock and the car fills with poisonous gas, killing her instantly. The word guilty was written on the mirror. Harrison seems to be targeting everyone who wronged him. They checked the entire HVAC system at Judge Donnelly's house, but failed to see the giant syringe sticking out of the chair she sat on. The detectives give lots of concerned looks, but she pulls through anyway. Meantime, the forensic break in the case. They find in the dead lawyer's car, no, not a fingerprint, but a dead mosquito, they are absolutely sure, bit the person who put the gas bomb in the vehicle. Crime tech O'Halloran calls Stabler to the lab to share the results, but when he gets there, he finds O'Halloran stabbed to death on the floor and the computer showing the DNA in the mosquito belongs to Stucky. The evil tech knocks him out from behind and answers Stabler's phone, telling Benson he very specifically has gone out for sushi. (laughs) A bound and duct tape Stabler gets to hear Stucky's rant about getting back at everyone who's humiliated him. Monologuing. Before he can finish the detective off, Benson shows up. She wins Stucky's trust by bitch-slapping the shit out of Stabler. Mm -hmm. She fools him by planting a kiss on him and then positions him just in the right spot for Stabler to kick him in the nads and take him out. When Elliot asks Olivia how he knew his life was in danger, she says, I know you don't eat raw fish. Right. No, it wasn't even that. It was like, Stabler, raw fish? No way. (laughs) (laughs) Something's wrong. (laughs) Like, we get it. He's not cultured. Like, we get it. (laughs) Thank you for that additional clarification. I'm just trying to branch out, broaden my horizons a bit. <laughs> right. And and I, again, just the incredible speed with which this these lab reports were processed <laughs> to get the to yes. get the belly of the mosquito in time as if nothing else in the whole city of New York is going on that could take priority over this. It's called zebra yeah. because it describes a theory of a crime that is far more elaborate than it has to be. It's also a medical term for a diagnosis, which is way overly complex than what it may actually be. So case in point, the locked car filling up with gas to kill the lawyer. I can't get the door open! I tried to warn her! No one gets out alive! The tentacles are everywhere! Yes. Can they just like shoot her or something? Like, why does it, why does it have to be like the Riddler trying to kill off Bruce Wayne? Right. The more implausible zebra in that whole scene, 
Did you see Emily Gilmore's office, by the way? Gorgeous, right? Yeah. I mean, incredible views. Did you see her clothes in the whole episode? Gorgeous, right? Yeah. She drove a Nissan? No <laughs> fucking way. <laughs> that lawyer would drive a Nissan. It was the only thing I could look at was the badge on the front of that car. I was like, I was but too busy looking at the badge. I saw it filling up with smoke like a minute after it started happening. That is a I was spectacular like, no way. point. Spectacular so point. So you think it was a mercy killing then because she drove a <laughs> Nissan? <laughs> Nissans are for people who have to buy a car but who actually hate cars. That's what I've decided about <laughs> Emily Gilmore's choice there. And Sonia, what do you drive? I I don't drive, but <laughs> so don't, don't worry about I'm not I'm not personally offended by this, but I just it's true though if she's, you know, she works uh she said she was introduced through Peter because she was, you know, managing the estate after the parents died in a plane crash and you know, she ha- she does have a f- spectacular wardrobe and is so well put together. So it's like it is kind of not equal that she would drive yeah. a Nissan. It's a small detail, but also, did we ever find out in the rest in the episode at the end? It was it was there was so much happening at the end, and the monologuing at the end by Peter <gasps> Harris slash Harrison was like so like Batman from nineteen sixties. Or Dr. No. I'm going to explain one? now, right, Mr. Right. Bond. Did he, he do did. the gas or did Stucky did the gas, right? Okay, because the whole time the gas is happening, Peter's like, well, she deserved it. Like, it's very confusing. Let let me mansplain this for you. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. I always love when you mansplain. After Harrison left court, he didn't offend Ever again. again. But he did kill the first people? He killed the woman. Okay, we're sure. The first woman in Central Park. Okay. But the woman at Coney Island. He didn't kill her. The gas bomb. I got that. I got all that. All that was Stucky. It was all Stucky. All that was Stucky. Okay. Did anybody else get really bothered by the fact that Stucky messed up this case the first time, yet they kept him on it? Yes! I have that note! Why would he be allowed to touch anything? He should have at least been on... with him. He should have been on administrative leave, for sure. Because you yes, blew he should not have been allowed a case, to be but you're certainly not continuing to work on the case that you messed up the first time because you could easily plant evidence for a vendetta. I mean, not to go the full murder spree route that he decided to go on. So can you imagine them presenting this in court? Your Honor, we have a witness to the murder. It's this mosquito that's only ever bit one person. Because that's exactly how mosquitoes roll. They only bite one person, and then they die in the gas chamber. But, like, how convenient that the mosquito was in the car at that moment and died and is still physically there after biting Stucky, of all people, as opposed to the attorney who's driving that car around the rest of the time, anybody else who's around. I don't know. (laughs) Well, here's here's what I don't get. They have Harrison in custody. Why are they still like doing these DNA tests when they believe he's the one who just killed the because lawyer? Because the earlier things they know are tainted because they know that what's his face Stucky effed it up. So they actually still they have to find a new DNA connection. But all I could think this whole time, and maybe it was just me, I see mosquito blood and B.D. Wong and the whole time I'm like this is going to turn into Jurassic Park ah, like yes <laughs> that's all I could think the whole time was they're going to make like a baby dinosaur or baby Stucky out of this mosquito blood it was really really ridiculous that would be like somehow more annoying than like any other sort of animal sound would just be like Stucky face on a like velociraptor body but at least for something he would then have like some form of purpose so that would be a nice i guess would be a nice step but why isn't stucky scratching his mosquito bite that i was waiting I for i was waiting for well, him she... to be like oh because you know how this show is like so on the nose to just be like oh i got this mosquito bite it's really been bothering me and like that's what connects the dots but instead it's just like it, this mosquito placed here conveniently has Stucky's blood in it. The end. Just got a little hydrocortisone. He's rubbing it on the side of his neck. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is a show in which Judith Light 
says the line, my house is safe, and then immediately sits on a syringe full of death chamber chemicals. <laughs> a giant syringe. This is not a show that cares about details like the one that you just brought up, Kevin. And you yeah. just need to let that shit go. Okay, wait. I'll, I'll forget that. <laughs> wait, so then, wait, am I being dumb now? Because who planted the syringe? Was it Stucky? Well, Stucky, he was in oh, the house. Apparently Stucky did everything. Stucky was like was like freaking Batman and like was everywhere and did everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> He was. <laughs> so before he wasn't Batman, he was the Joker. So so before we go too too far, I at this point, this is I have my quick story about this episode in particular. Uh, just like updating from my younger years of watching SVU as a child, way too young. Uh, cut mm-hmm. to uh, college, 2000, I don't know, 2010, uh, 420 happened to fall on a Tuesday, which we called SVU's day. May or may not have been, uh, you know, partaking, celebrating the holiday at my sorority house. And uh, <laughs> this episode I hadn't seen before, but I had seen prior Stucky episodes before. So there I am, may or may not be under the influence, watching Stucky turn bad in the course uh-huh. of the episode and being like, what is happening why like (laughs) what like i thought he was a good guy what is happening and that is when i learned to not mix svu and drugs weed yes (laughs) okay sonia i need a ruling what was the best part of olivia's plan to disarm stucky was it slapping elliot way more many times than he needed to Making out with Stucky or repositioning him so that Elliot can just Rochambeau him. I think that technically the best thing was getting him in the right position for Elliot to, you know, kick him. But I literally have in my notes, okay, improv Olivia, she was so ready for this. You like it because we get each other. We're connected. We're connected? Yeah. Let's take care of the third wheel. Wait. Just wait one second. I want him to watch. Watch what? Watch this. And then I have after that, oh, Liv, too far with the kiss. Too far, too far, too far. Like, you could have made that point. Like, how fragile masculinity is Stucky that he's like, I'm doing all this to prove that I'm not an idiot. And then all he needs is like some female attention to like get his guard down. I would be like, I don't trust you. Like, well, I think it was a good team effort because, like, she warmed up that little spot where he had to kick. Mm. Yeah. Mm. He got it going. Mm. She got it going, and then, yeah. She did. Well, I, for one, loved how quickly she was able to transition into, I've been waiting for years <laughs> for someone to give it to this guy. Yeah. Like, I loved it. And I kind of think that scene was a nod to people like, You think that you're the only one whose life is hell because of this person? <laughs> Live, do this. Live, do that. I'm sick of it. No, don't, don't. Sick of it. I want to hear him scream. Don't you touch me. Did somebody say you could talk? Both of you shut up. Don't do it, bitch. Don't hit me. No more quarters out of you, pal. I loved it. And I kind of think that scene was a nod to people like me who... As much as I was, I've always been an SVU fan and I was kind of watching this whole thing, like Elliot is like really fucking annoying and totally slappable in so many ways that Olivia Benson is not. So I see her do it so many. First of all, we see him get cut and stabbed like 14 times, which is, yeah, for me kind of funny, like in a weird way. I don't know. And then just like constant <laughs> right. repeated stabbing. 
I don't know. I loved it. And I loved how when she was kissing Stucky, they should have think they should have looked at Elliot over Stucky's shoulder. Like, uh-huh, ready? Or something. Yeah. It was awful and weird, but she figured it out really, really fast. Yeah, between Finn and Munch, they can look at each other and say, yeah, let's go on the fun house. <laughs> But Benson and Stabler look at each other and it's like, yeah, kick him in the nuts. I think it's an elaborate plan. I still think that the let's get on the fun house is more of a nuanced kind of mm. explanation of their relationship than just like, yeah, let's get this guy. I don't know. It's just, I can't believe. We had a previous guest describe Finn and Munch as the Abbott and Costello of SVU. I think I described them as well, the more yeah. episodes, I think you did too. But the more episodes I watch of this, the more I realize you're right. They're there for both comic relief and then also just to change the texture of it for the rest. Oh, yeah. But I don't ever see Finn kissing somebody just so Munch can kick him in the balls. Never. <laughs> Never in a million years. I, He's still getting used to his gay son like 15 years after. Right. That. Like I didn't. I also didn't realize that that was something I wanted to like have them make that signal <laughs> until you brought it. There's a lot of things I didn't know. I didn't I didn't know I wanted to watch Donnelly and Stabler Bone until this up until like we're recording right now. There's a lot of things. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Headlines. A key plot point in this episode concerns Munch and his ex-wife, both believers in conspiracy theories. In real life, actor Richard Belzer is also an avid believer in conspiracy theories, a trait that was written into his character more than 25 years ago. A stand-up comedian, Belzer got his shot as a network regular on the cast of NBC's Homicide, Life on the Street, where Munch first appeared as a detective in Baltimore. Director Barry Levinson said at first Belzer was not comfortable in the role and was poor at delivering his lines. Levinson began to incorporate Belzer's own views into the character, such as his belief that the CIA plotted to assassinate President Kennedy. Belzer began playing Munch in crossover episodes in other TV shows, including an appearance with the conspiracy buffs known as the Lone Gunman on the X-Files. When Dick Wolf brought Munch to SVU, he retained the character's paranoid views. Richard Belzer has written four books about conspiracy theories, including JFK, UFOs and Elvis. His most recent book, Someone is Hiding Something, deals with the mysterious disappearance of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. So it must really suck to make small talk at lunch with Richard Belzer. <laughs> it either sucks or it's <laughs> awesome. I was going to say, you now added another thing onto my list that I didn't know that I needed until this moment, which is all of Richard Belzer's books. Just like a, yeah. a, a pure nonsense. Well, you know, so, whatever. So did you catch the ball game last night? But here's yeah, the thing I, about someone like Richard Belzer, the conspiracy theorist, right? Yeah. You, you know he's right about like... 8% of the things he's talking about. Like, what? Well, there's got to be some, like, kernel in there, right? Like, what? maybe some weird JFK thing that he says is true. Or maybe some weird, like, it's Richard Belzer. So I'm willing to go with it and just buy the books and read them. I'm willing yeah. to do it. I'm sorry. I'm, I love, what does that say about me? I just think it's interesting. You know, everybody's entitled to their views. And, like, let's see if he's got a point. You know? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, let's hear the man out. He might, he might be on to something. Okay, Grassy Knoll, go. <laughs> Fun fact, if you go to the Sixth Floor Museum in Dallas, there's a whole section of that museum devoted towards, like, examine conspiracy theories. Narrated by Richard Belzer. (laughs) From your lips to God's ears. Like one of those audio tours, like you put your headphones in, it's like, now... Now we'll switch over to Richard Belzer and his thoughts on what really happened to John F. Kennedy. All right, let's finish this bullshit tour. You can look out that window. Nothing happened there. 
Come with me down to the grassy knoll for the man with the umbrella. Here's a real question, though. Wouldn't you rather have lunch and a beer with Richard Belzer than Michael Moriarty? Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, now let's go like way back to the first season of Homicide. They had some really great actors in season one. Ned Beatty, Yafit Kodo, and a young Andre Brower and Academy Award winner Melissa Leo. Now, Richard Belzer's addition to me is just stunt casting. Yep. I mean, and it's kind of a... <laughs> yeah. Right, and, and, and to me, in a way, it's kind of like when they first bring on Ice-T in oh, season yeah. two. No, It's like, right. this is a dare, right? No, it's sort of like, this is the thing to bring... He's the curiosity to make people watch. I mean, that's a thing that's like standard in TV casting and mainstream TV casting. Think about like Tony Danza being cast in Taxi. They cast him because he was... A real guy named Tony who happened to be a boxer, and then they cast him as a guy named Tony who happened to be a boxer on Taxi, right? It's sort of like, let's see if this works. That's a thing that's been happening forever. It kind of like, think about LL Cool J. What is it? What's that stupid CBS show he's been CSI. on for a million years? Well, I mean, who, who pays the way? What is it? It doesn't oh, matter. It's, it's not, yeah. it's not, SV, it's not, it's not the Law and Order franchise, so I'm not concerned. <laughs> that's right. But it's a show that I've never seen, but that I happen to know that like millions of people watch. It's always like a top five for yeah, some right. confounding reason. Yeah. It's that. Method Man was in the wire, and yeah, I mean, there there are certain you know performers that want to get in to acting as well. You know, uh, Harry Styles was in Dunkirk. I mean, this and Frank Sinatra was in. in uh, for, oh, he wanted to be in From Here to Eternity. Was he in From Here to Eternity? No, nah, he didn't so. get the part. That's why the horse head wound up in the guy's. That was in the Godfather. No, but in real life, <laughs> that was the story. It was based. On, I don't. It doesn't really matter. You're just pulling in a new audience potentially, because you know you've got these, you know, a bunch of relatively straight actors that you may or may not recognize from things, but like. Ice T's audience may not necessarily be who you would expect to be the Law and Order SVU watching audience. So he brings that in. Richard Belzer, same thing. You know, they bring in a bunch of these names because it's like, oh, yeah, I like you. Let's see what you're up to right now. And, and it's easy to poo poo Richard Belzer and Ice T as, as you know, casting choices, but their two characters are among the longest lasting characters in the history of television. Yeah, We're clearly. going on 18 seasons for Finn yep. and over 20 seasons. Um, almost, I think, 25 seasons for Munch. And Munch still comes back for cameos now and then. Remember the last season when he came back and he was babysitting Olivia's baby? Yeah. Who is now <laughs> yeah. a tod- Who is now a kindergartner? I don't know if you guys have yes. watched the recent episodes. I don't know oh, where we jumped. I did. Where we jumped like four years into season the future. Premier. What the hell was that? But anyway, I don't know why he's like, <laughs> a, like a full child now. But either way. Now, the character Munch holds the record for appearing in 10 different television series on five different networks. Wow. The character. Right. And, and, and as played by, by Belzer. So that includes Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, mm-hmm. Arrested Development, mm-hmm. 30 Rock, and The Wire mm-hmm. as much. Rebecca, my question, why? Because Richard Belzer can't do anything else. But yes, I get that he would play. He only has one character to play. Do you know, why do they keep? Why do these other people keep dropping Munch into the middle of their? Guess what else has appeared in episodes of shows across networks and over time for about the same period of time that Munch has? Superman. Hudson University. We are Hudson, where the bad guys go to school. <laughs> oh yeah, Hudson University is not just specific to SVU. It is not just rape you, as we like to call it in our house. <laughs> it is actually like, you like a, to call it that. It's a ubiquitous <laughs> fictional New York university yeah. that shows up over and over and over again. It's kind of like a nod, kind of like those five 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 telephone numbers. 
that are in every TV show ever. Like, Richard Belzer as Munch is like the 555 telephone number of characters. Like, is there a police show without Richard Belzer at this point? A show where, <laughs> like, can you even have a police show? He wasn't in The Closer. <laughs> that. That, it, that it doesn't count. It doesn't count if Richard Belzer doesn't appear on it as Munch. Hey, that's going to do it for us. I want to thank our guest, Sonia Sells. Sonia, where can our listeners follow you online? So you can follow me at Sonia Marie Says on Twitter, and you can find In Trouble for Talking, my podcast, uh, on your regular podcast apps. And Rebecca, you usually get in trouble for talking. Uh, how can <laughs> our listeners follow you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoie, and of course, listen to our flagship show, Crime Writers on, but if you want to find me like tomorrow, you might find me at the urgent care begging for antibiotics. Aww. That's all right. <laughs> just, just don't just don't sit on any syringes. <laughs> you can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod and follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Unless you're an asshole and just skip it. All <laughs> clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in Square Egg Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.